Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Yes, I'm very ready. All right, let's give it a whirl. All right, and I just want to say that this is very exciting because this is the last podcast of 2021, and I want to say Happy New Year, and we're all looking forward to 2022 and hoping for the best, but we don't want to expect too much. That's right, yes. Uh, this uh, You should be listening to this, uh, or, or I'm not sure when you will be listening to it, but it will be published on uh, New Year's Eve, December 31st of 2021, and it has uh, definitely been a uh, banner year for uh, the two of us as we have uh, started uh, this uh, grand experiment and uh, been able to uh, share it with everyone, and uh, we're so happy uh, that you all have been listening this year and hope that you uh, tune in to hear uh, many more of our adventures uh going into 2022 Uh, yes yes i just wanted to jump in chandler i'm so excited because i i just feel that we're so blessed and we're so lucky to have so many wonderful listeners all over the world and all over the united states and just people who are are so interested in all the history and the combination of astrology and the history it's just really lovely and i just want to say hello and happy new year to everyone and wish you all a wonderful 2022 absolutely uh for those of you if this is your uh, first podcast uh, uh welcome uh, the way that the podcast works is that uh, in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. Uh, I, uh, of course, know who the uh, historical figure is because I selected the person, and you, the listening audience, already know because it's in the title of today's episode, but Mom has no idea who this historical figure could be. Uh, I will give her the uh, data necessary to create an astrological birth chart. Uh, That is the birth time, date, and location of our mystery history guest. 
She will enter that information into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. Uh, she will then give us a uh, blind his, uh, astrological reading, uh, uh, telling us what all those uh, planet uh, placements mean uh, in terms of the person's personality or characteristics or fortunes. Uh, I will then uh, reveal to her who the mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, and then uh, we will discuss how accurate the chart was at predicting who that person would be. Uh, so without further ado, let us begin. Yes. Uh, this is a male. All right. Uh, born on the 30th of November. All right. Uh-huh. 1929. Okay. At 4.50 a.m. Oh, my. God bless that woman. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, the where? United States. Uh-huh. Uh, Bronxville, New York. Okay. Looks like that's it, right? Yep. Okay. All right. So again, this is a male born on November 30th, 1929 at 4.50 a.m. Bronxville, New York, United States. Okay. Well, the first thing I want to say is that this chart, you can see this, right, Chandler? Yes. You see how everything is, this is, uh, I mean, there is a concentration here. You can see that this is kind of a house. splash. Uh-huh. There's a very, yes, in the first house is a concentration. And, but you can see that this is a, a splash, which is an unusual chart to have planets in all the way around, almost all the way around the circle, right? Mm -hmm. So that's very unique and very interesting. Uh, it, it does lead to a more dynamic individual, uh, it is it's more rare that they have a chart like this. So, okay, uh, we will start with we're going to start with the first house because there's a concentration here. All right, and this person has a Scorpio rising. Um, okay, and then this person has a Sun in Sagittarius. At a um, at seven degrees. Okay, so let me make sure. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because I'm looking at several different things at once. All right. So their moon is in Scorpio at twenty-eight degrees. Their sun is at seven degrees Sag. Their Mars, it's, oh, their Mars is at eight degrees Sag. And their Mercury is at nine degrees Sag. So Mars and Mercury are conjunct literally to the sun by degree because they're within a, 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 a five degree orb, right? So that's very concentrated Sagittarian energy. Uh, what does it mean if 
things are conjunct. Does that mean like they're very like if you were to look <laughs> in the sky, they would be very close to each other or? Well, what it means is that these degrees, these planets were tra- were traveling. All right. Mm-hmm. And and they were at this degree. OK. At the time this person was born, they were at this degree. And when uh, and like if we went to look at the planets right now, there's something called an ephemeris. And it has a listing of where all the planets are and where all the planets have been and where all the planets are going to be, mm-hmm. all right, by degree, from zero to 30 degrees, all right? So each one of the houses has the, it, it, it has 30 degrees in it, but see how this house starts in Scorpio and then ends up in Sagittarius. Right. You see this, that line right there? Yes. So that changes. So you have a heavy first house, but not all the planets are in the same uh, uh, not all the, not all of these planets are in the same sign. Okay, mm. so you have Venus, all right, at twenty one degrees Scorpio, and the Moon at twenty five degrees Scorpio, which is also very conjunct. All right, because mm. they're close together; they're within five degrees of each other. Okay, so what happens is, is when you have conjunctions like this, it means that you are more that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like. I guess you could say if you were a cup of tea, all right, that would be like, well, one cube of sugar is that much sugar, right? But then you have two cubes of sugar, right? So not only does this person have Venus and Moon in Scorpio, their ascendant is Scorpio. So now we have three cubes of sugar, right? And and they amplify each other. Yes, they amplify each other. Okay. Okay, and then this person also has three planets in Sagittarius, right? Those also amplify each other, Mm -hmm. okay? And this is all in the first house, okay? Uh, So this is a very dynamic personality, okay? This person, uh, whether they are... um, like in the public eye or not, which I'm assuming they are in the public eye. If they are in the public eye, they have this very dynamic persona. I would say that this person is probably not only attractive, but also rugged. Like, hmm. uh, uh, because of all the Sagittarius, right? This person has sun. Because Sagittarius is the hunter. Yes. So, uh, yes. Outdoorsy nature sort of yes. things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. They're also um, seekers of knowledge. They're also uh, like they are very independent people. They need to be able to have their space. They need to be able to do things their way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So now you have this Scorpio Sag thing going on where you've got ascendant Venus and moon in Scorpio, and then you have sun, Mars and Mercury in Sagittarius. Okay. So <laughs> this person has all the Scorpio traits, but just in their moon and their Venus. All right. And their ascendant. So they could be, uh interesting looking right because scorpio rising i would assume would be alluring mm-hmm. uh 
but also that all that sag is going to give them that kind of, you know, outdoorsy, you know, uh, I don't know, hunter manly thing. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So that seems like that's what is going on there. So, okay. So they have these two sides that people see them as, right? Kind of on the one hand, handsome, uh, mis maybe even mysterious, maybe a little bit mysterious, you know? Um, but this person, uh, having moon in the first house would be very in touch with their emotions in Scorpio, uh, which is a water sign. Uh, they should be very in touch with their emotions and they should also be very, uh, understanding or very interested in women mm -hmm. and their mother, because this person has Venus conjunct moon. That's all women. That's all the women. That's it. That's all the women. So this person, women are very important to him. Uh, and like both sides of the coin, like, 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 uh, the, the idea, like the motherly sisterly aspect of women, as well as the romantic aspect of women. Okay. Also this person with Venus in the first house might have been uh, kind of a, uh, 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 an opulent kind of dresser, maybe like showing that they have nice things, uh, or they, uh, have good taste, maybe that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> while they're, it's almost like, okay, this person has really nice guns <laughs> or whatever the Sagittarian hunter has. Like this person has very nice bow and arrow because they have Venus in conjunct, you know, all this Sagittarius in the first house. So I don't know something about this rugged, uh, kind of sexy, um, person. All right. So, um, in this, in this, am I, am I even close to anything so far? Well, I think a lot of people would describe this man as handsome uh -huh. um, and understanding and in touch with emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, ruggedness and the outdoors part, I'm not sure if people would necessarily um, attach that to this person. Uh, but uh, uh, women were an important part. I think a lot of these notes are, are pretty pretty close. Okay, so let me go into another aspect of Sagittarius and... Mars and Sagittarius and Mercury and Sagittarius would be, I think, I almost want to say out of all the signs that Sagittarius has this side to them that is, has a lot of integrity, like honesty, and they could be, uh, very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you could trust that you could trust them, you know? Like they have this honesty about them and integrity that that is important to them. So I don't know. Maybe this person has that. That is an aspect of Sagittarius. And this person has Sun, Mars, and Mercury in Sagittarius. So I could also imagine that if this person was angry, it would be very fiery. Mm. Because that's a very fire. That's a lot of fire. And they could get angry and be very verbal about it. <laughs> like they could be, you know, verbal about their anger. So it's possible that this person was very able to express themselves 
in any, honestly, in any situation that involved the direction that they're going, because having Mars is also your sexuality, right? So for a man, his Mars is going to be his, 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 his sexuality and his, and his direction and his temper and, um, all of those Martian things, you know what I mean? So, uh, very interesting. Okay. So let's move on to the second house. So the second house is Sagittarius. Uh, just, just for, what does the first house rule? Uh, what rules the first house? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, the first house is ruled by Aries, which yeah. is ruled by Mars. Okay. But uh, in but his situation, so if you're looking at, okay, what does the first house represent? Yes. The first house represents self. First house represents how people see you. The first house represents how people, uh, in other words, like it's, it, it's more like, oh, okay, well, you know, you've walked into a room and today you're wearing a tuxedo, you know? Well, these aspects would probably be make you be wearing this tuxedo for whatever mm -hmm. reason today. You know what I mean? Okay. As opposed to wearing golf shorts or something, you know? So the first house is how people see you. And also how okay. you want to appear to people, okay. right? So this is kind of how you appear to people. But it is, first house is Aries, which is ruled by Mars. And then it goes all the way around, right? Because mm -hmm. 12th house is ruled by Pisces, which is psychic abilities and all that, right? So, okay. Uh, on to the second house. Second house is, is uh, ruled by Taurus, all right? Which is Venus, which is material things, uh, things you love, love, right? And this person has Saturn, okay, at zero degrees Capricorn in the second house. So this would have made this person very frugal with money, okay? Or felt the need to be very frugal with money and, and, and uh, responsibility and um, uh, maybe even had a hard time acquiring wealth or it was very important for this person to acquire wealth okay so something about that the second house issues with money and finances third house is still uh capricorn right because of the way everything is laid out but then it switches to aquarius midway and he doesn't have anything in the third house he doesn't have anything in the fourth house he does have this capricorn aquarius thing going on in the third house which would make uh, for some humanitarian, right? So this person, their Aquarius goes all into their fourth house as well, right? Mm -hmm. So their fourth house cusp is Aquarius. It moves into Pisces. But that would make them also very humanitarian in their, um, their home and their uh, environment and their uh, country, and their, you know, their, their, everything that they consider their, their, you know, their environment, their space, right? So it, it should lend them to be humanitarian. The dark side of Aquarius is totalitarianism. So, I mean, maybe they were, I don't know. I don't know who we're talking about yet. So, uh, don't know. But um, however it is, I would assume that this person with this first house should have been fairly gregarious, mm -hmm. like easy to get along with, easy to, but at the same time that this person was kind of easy to get along with, with this moon and Venus and Scorpio, 
it's almost like this person knew how to be gregarious and get along with people mm -hmm. while at the same time possibly having secrets or an agenda or something mm. so that they knew like okay if you know i can i can uh you know i can i can maybe even i don't know manipulate people i don't know so i mean they had the power whether they used it or not i don't know okay and then fifth house we have uh uranus at seven degrees aries yikes okay so that is serious fifth house power uranus is um quick fast things happen quickly that kind of power in the fifth house i would say is normally a performer but it can also be uh someone who deals with power okay uh could be a powerful person a powerful leader fifth house is ruled by leo which is ruled by the sun and this person has aries in there I mean, this person has Uranus in Aries in that fifth house. So possibly leader or uh, a performer, maybe. So uh, sixth house, uh, they have their Chiron in the sixth house. And Chiron is in Taurus at 10 degrees. Also, that is conjunct their north node in the seventh house which is also in Taurus. You see how these are both in Taurus? Yes. And this is just two degrees different right there. So they're very conjunct, right? And Chiron, as we know, is the wounded healer. So if this person did do their work for their karma, because Chiron is whatever karma you brought in with you, right? Also 12th house is whatever karma you brought in with you, but Chiron is more mm, like uh something you you kind of deal with all the time as opposed to like a 12th house which would be like something that you have to deal with at different times i don't know i i'll try to explain it better in another way but in this particular situation it's in taurus okay so that would put with chiron being in the sixth house and north node being in the seventh house this wounded healer has something to do with work healing communications, organization, all these Virgonian things, okay? Because sixth house is ruled by Virgo, all right? Which is uh, ruled by Mercury, which is communications, but it's also work because Virgos really like to do really good work, right? They're very, it's very important for them to do good work. So somehow there was some lessons to be learned with work or health, or something like that. So that also might have affected this seventh house north node, which is uh, 12 degrees in Taurus. And that is the direction they're supposed to go. So they have north node in Taurus in the seventh house. So Taurus things, Taurus is ruled by Venus. Okay. But Taurus people are very driven, right? So in partnerships, in romantic partnerships, in friendships, in business partnerships, this person must have been the driving force of that or felt the need to be the driving force. 
or felt maybe everything was on their shoulders to continue to move forward. It's very Taurus. Taurus is very plodding. They don't give up. They are very determined. If they set their, if they go this way, they're going that way. There's nothing that is going to change their mind. They're going this way. You cannot stop them. So you might as well get out of their way and let them do it. So this is coming across in this seventh house of partnerships, business partnerships, friendships, romantic partnerships. Then we have Jupiter in the eighth house. This is a good place for Jupiter to be. It is at 11 degrees Gemini. So that's very benevolent in the eighth house. Eighth house is ruled by Scorpio. So it is, uh, in, so this person has Jupiter in the eighth house being very benevolent with sexuality and uh, death and rebirth and secrets, almost like revealing secrets, uh, good at revealing secrets and communication and somehow revealing able to see the secrets and the um hidden things and uh so could have been uh a person who was who was able to inherit uh inherit things and also legacy i i have seen in a couple of these charts that we've done a person who has jupiter in the eighth house has a legacy right through in history like they Almost like that's what they're supposed to do. Like there's some, it's very important that people remember who they were. Is any of this making sense? Uh, so, and this is connected to the benevolence, like someone would be able to know when it's the right time to reveal a secret to help someone? Okay, well, in this situation, Jupiter, okay, uh, this person has Jupiter in in. Gemini. Jupiter is uh, benevolent, uh-huh. right? It is the planet. It is the planet of benevolence. So it's, it's, uh, I would like some of that and I'd like too much. Okay. And, and then Jupiter just gives you too much, right? So in this case, it's in Gemini, which is communications. Okay. But it's in the eighth house, which, which is ruled by Scorpio, which houses secrets and um, hidden things and, uh, legacy and sexuality, all of those Scorpio things. Okay. So there's something about too much, the ability to have great communication regarding these Scorpio things. So, uh, maybe telling a lot of people about a hidden thing. Yes, that could absolutely be this. Okay. So then the ninth house, this person has Pluto in the ninth house in Cancer. Interesting. Okay, so ninth house is ruled by Sagittarius. So it's travel and philosophy and teaching and learning and, and uh, uh, independence, travel, uh, all those things. And this person has Pluto in Cancer there. And Pluto uh, rules Scorpio, right? 
So it's very powerful. Uh, it can also be death and rebirth of a situation like over and over, but which could be a lot of, uh, you know, stops and starts with travel or things like that. But I feel like in this person's uh, chart, this is power. This is a fairly powerful person and their Pluto is in cancer. So cancer is, uh, it, it's a water sign also. And cancer is usually very nurturing, right? It can be very angry, <laughs> but it's angry like, uh, like, ah, like it, it, it defensive. It, 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 Yes, it's very defensive, right? But it's defensive like it's snipping its claws at you while it's backing mm -hmm. up. You know, it's like, ah, don't come over here. Don't come over here. So, you know, uh, I, I feel like this person has a powerful nurturing ability, which could also have a temper. You know, this could go with that Mars and Sagittarius temper, you know, uh, but it's in the ninth house. So it has to do with their dogma, you know. This is very powerful dogma. They could be religious or, you know, their opinions of what they want with that Taurus going on in the seventh house and the sixth house. So there's that. Uh, this person also has their midhaven in, uh, in Leo, right? So that, again, is like really leadership, very in their career, right? Because your midhaven is your career. So their career is that they're a leader. And so uh, it has something to do with all the Leo things. Uh, leadership. Um, I mean, if it was a king, then their career would be that they were a king because they have Leo, you know, on their midheaven. So but then, Leo is leadership, children, and show business. It can be entertainment. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, so it can absolutely be show business. That is, I mean, for me, I always assume it is show business, but we've had so many different people that you've brought through that were leaders, right? They weren't in show business. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were leaders. But this person with Uranus in the fifth house and Midhaven and Leo, I mean, and all that first house, I'd be like, okay, well, sure. I mean, this is a very talented person, very talented performer. Uh, but it could be a very talented leader, you know? So then we go to the 10th house, which has uh, Neptune in Virgo in the 10th house. That would make them very creative, okay? With their Neptune in Virgo in the 10th house, because the 10th house is career, right? So it would they would be very creative with their career. But Virgo is also very uh very organized and very uh i don't know they could be like a writer because they would have virgo neptune and virgo in the 10th house which would be um you know like liter literal communication right because virgo is ruled by mercury so communi com creative communication in their career and then their 11th house, they have Libra, which would make them appealing to the masses, but they don't have any planets in there. So it's not, you know, it's not really amplified, no but it's just house. Yeah, it's not there. amplified. It is there. Mm -hmm. And uh, then this also 
I mean, because they do have, see here where this changes, this is the house cup for the 11th house, right? So that's Virgo, right, for the 11th house, but it changes here to Libra. So they have this Virgo Libra 11th house, right? And then they have this Libra Scorpio 12th house, okay? So, um, you know, there's not anything really huge going on here. Uh, most of your stuff is going on here in the first house, here in the fifth house, here in the seventh house. Well, I mean, it's a lot of stuff, but you know what I mean. There's no, the main concentration is in the first house. So am I even close? I, I, I feel like this person is, um, I feel like this person could be a very powerful person. Mm -hmm. Very, very uh, easy for people to maybe... Uh, interact with or identify with or mm -hmm. somehow uh, uh, like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like this person is very likable, but they're, I mean, although they might seem very easy, they're very powerful and very driven. Uh -huh. So do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Um, how would this person do in business? I think this person would be fierce in business. Uh, with that Leo on the Midhaven and on that 10th house cusp, I would think they would be a leader in business. But, I mean, they also have, well, no, I think, they, I think they would be a leader. I think they would not be the person who was just the quiet sitting in the back team member. Mm -hmm. I think this person is, is it, this person has leadership ability. They've got... <laughs> Uranus in the fifth house in Aries. They've got Mars in the first house in Sag, and they've got Leo on their midheaven, and they're 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 this is a this is a serious fire. This person's got a lot of fire. Mm -hmm. uh, -huh. uh And uh, how would this person uh, do with uh, communications? Well, I would think that this person would do well with communications and would be creative with their communications. They've got Jupiter in Gemini and Neptune in Virgo. So those are your, you know, Gemini and Virgo are ruled by Mercury, which is communications. So I would think they would do very well with communications. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us uh, anything you can get about the parents? Well, uh, normally when you look to the parents, the sun is the father and the moon is the mother. All right. So in this situation, the sun is Sagittarius sun. So I would think that the father would be earthy. I mean, the Sagittarius is fire, right? But Sagittarians are very <laughs> earthy for a fire sign. They really like nature. Uh, they like to, they like animals a lot and they like to be around nature. So I would think that this person had a good father and their mother is, um, the moon is in Scorpio. So their mother may have been a little bit more difficult than the father, but I mean, it just, it, it, if you go with more of a dark side, but I would think the mother and the father would be, uh, kind of a prominent part of this person's life since both of these are in the first house somehow they're very significant to this person 
I mean, not that everybody's parents aren't significant, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But somehow they, somehow they um, are reflected in their in this person's personality. Mm -hmm. I believe he probably loved his mother very much because it's in the first house, and the father too. So, uh, what kind of person uh, would uh, this uh, person look for in a romantic partner? I would think this person would like someone who was kind of Scorpio-ish. So Scorpios are in touch with their sexuality. Um, this woman would probably be beautiful, but in a way that was kind of sexy. Mm -hmm. And uh, this woman would probably be very comfortable with her sexuality. And um, also with him having this north node in the seventh house, uh, he would be looking for a partner. Um, but I think I think kind of a, a, a like a femme fatale. I want to say like a femme mm. fatale kind of woman. Um, this uh, might be a bit of an odd question, but I'll, I'll shoot mm -hmm. for it. Um. Can you get any sense of what this person's uh, spiritual age would be? Like, you know, some people are uh, old men, uh, like myself, are old men inside. Uh -huh. uh, some uh -huh. people are very youthful inside. I'd say you are a very youthful mm -hmm. person inside. Uh, can you <laughs> mm -hmm. get any sense of what this person might be? Well, this person has... Sun and Sag. But I mean, I don't know because, see, for you specifically, you're an Aquarius and Aquarians are all born old and then they get younger as they get older, right? So this person has Sun and Sag, which is normally very jubilant, right? Normally youthful and playful. And uh, that's kind of a thing. For people who are Sagittarians, they're not usually, they're not usually seen as being old. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I would think more youthful. Okay. But as far as like, I mean, that's how he's perceived, but you know, I can't really say as far as like, um, you know, how, like an old soul, uh -huh. right? Because that's, that's a whole different thing. That's like, if I was going to try to figure out that kind of idea i would also need to do like numerology and okay. stuff because i would kind of need to know what what number he was okay uh -huh. um does uh can you see anything about uh like what music uh the role music might play in their life music um Well, I mean, this person does have Neptune in the 10th house. So, I mean, it could be all music. You know what I mean? Like Neptune is ruled. Um, I mean, <laughs> uh, Neptune rules Pisces, right? So that is dreamlike creativity, uh, the ability to write and write music. And, and so it could very well be a, a musician, you know, mm -hmm. this person could be a musician because 
I would think that they would have the ability to create music and uh, create, you know, anything. They have Neptune in the 10th house. They could create anything. Um, all right. Well, uh, is there anything in this uh, chart that you haven't uh, talked about already in your uh, first glance? I would think that I, you know, because I always like to go with the light side of things. So I would think that this person would be uh, very fun mm -hmm. to work with. I think this person would be fun and creative, but also has a very serious ability, uh, you know, for, for career and uh, serious, like fire in, in, in their fifth house. So, I mean, I, I would. I think I would like to hang out with this person. I think so, too. I think <laughs> uh, I think you would. Uh, well, uh, all right. Let us uh, do our uh, summary of our findings. Uh, so uh, the first thing you said was attractive. Uh, you went back a couple of minutes later, uh, alluring and handsome. Uh, talked about uh, might be a rugged person, an independent person. Uh, this uh, person is in touch with their emotions, is an understanding person, very interested in women. Women play a very important part in their life. Um, an opulent dresser, uh, possibly. Uh, a good taste. Uh, integrity, honesty, trust. Uh, but might have a fiery temper uh, and very verbal about their anger. Uh, very frugal with money, uh, important uh, to acquire wealth. Uh, humanitarianism plays a role in their life. Uh, home, community, country. This person is gregarious, uh, easy to get along with. Uh, but he, he knows how to uh, portray someone who gets along, but is always calculating on the other end, uh, maybe towards another means. Uh, this person could be a performer. Uh, whatever they did, they would be powerful in it and very quick. Uh, there are lessons to be learned with work, health, uh, communications. Uh, in partnerships, uh, he is uh, the driving force in all, uh, be that business or friendships or romantic partnerships, is the driving force in that. He is very benevolent, uh, benevolent with sexuality, uh, communication, uh, revealing secrets, hidden things, uh, telling a lot of people about a hidden thing. Uh, this person might be able to do that very well. Powerful person, powerful, nurturing, uh, but has a temper, uh, powerful dogma, uh, rules this person. Uh, leadership in show business is a possibility. Very talented, very creative with the career. Organized, a literal communicator. Uh, would be appealing to the masses, very likable. A fierce businessman, a leader in business. Good and creative with communicating. Uh, this person would have a good father. Uh, the mother might be a little difficult, but uh, they would the parents would play a prominent role in their life. A romantic partner would be in touch with their sexuality, uh, and uh, it's part of his uh, goal in life to find a partner. 
this person could be perceived as youthful. Uh, music might play a prominent role in their life. Uh, this person is very fun and creative, uh, but is very serious about the career. Is there anything that I left out? No, I think that's really good. Uh, would you like to know uh, whose chart you've been reading? Yes. So uh, this uh, being uh, published on New Year's Eve, I think that uh, there's one man that comes to my mind as being uh, entirely synonymous with New Year's Eve. Uh, this is the uh, astrological birth chart of uh, America's uh, oldest teenager, Dick Clark. Oh, no! That's wonderful! Okay, I love this. Yes, this makes a lot of sense. Heck yeah. This makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay, yes. I see everything. I mean, think about, especially like, look at this uh, Neptune in Virgo that is communicating the music, right. right? And then this Leo and all, and his, oh my goodness, yes. And then you asked me like, would they be considered? Nope, they would be considered young, mm -hmm. right? Oh, that's very good. Okay, I like it a lot. Uh, so uh, for maybe our international listeners or our uh, younger listeners who are uh, a little bit unfamiliar, uh, Dick Clark, uh, I and many Americans uh, connect him with New Year's Eve. He uh, hosted uh, ABC's telecast of New Year's Rockin' Eve uh, from 1973 uh, until uh, his passing in uh, 2011. Uh, Generations of Americans uh, began and ended their year uh, with Dick Clark uh, counting down uh, to uh, and being in Times Square, no matter the weather, how cold it was, uh, counting uh, down with the ball going down in Times Square. Uh, so that is uh, the major reason why uh, we're uh, or I've chosen him for today. Uh, so uh, Dick Clark uh, was born uh, Richard Wagstaff Clark. Uh, on November 30th, 1929, in Bronxville, New York. Uh, he was born to uh, Richard Clark Sr. and uh, Julia Barnard Clark. Uh, from the very beginning, Dick Clark was an enterprising young man. Uh, there's one story that his mom used to tell that uh, Dick Clark uh, set up a, a shoeshine stand when he was very little, and on a piece of cardboard he wrote, uh, One shoe can be shined for three cents, Two shoes for five cents. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, at the age of 10, uh, Dick Clark attended the uh, uh, 1939 World's Fair held in New York and saw a, a miraculous piece of technology being uh, displayed. And this was a television set. Uh, and this made a very lasting impact on the young man. Uh, he talks about that it's it was this very weird science fiction thing of the image being transported to a very tiny screen, which was then reflected onto a mirror in front of everyone and just captivated this young 10-year-old. Uh, of course, having no idea that the, the role that television would play for the rest of his life. Uh, three years later, at the age of 13, uh, he saw a, a radio show, a live broadcast in a theater. Uh, it, it was uh, hosted by Gary Moore and Jimmy Durante. 
And from that moment, uh, he knew that he wanted to be in broadcasting. Uh, he wasn't even uh, com entirely convinced that he would be in front of the mic. He was just fascinated with the business of making a show. Uh, and uh, his family was very supportive of this. Uh, apparently, the dad had the conversation, as you do with uh, young kids. You know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And Dick Clark knew, I, I want to be in radio. And uh, so Dick Clark's dad, uh, his brother, so Dick Clark's uncle, uh, just bought a radio station in upstate New York. And uh, his dad stopped what he was doing. He was a salesman in New York. Uh, he stopped his livelihood, moved up to upstate New York to help his brother run the radio station so that his son, Dick Clark, could get into the radio business. Wow. Uh, at the age of 16, uh, Dick Clark started uh, doing announcements uh, for the radio station. And uh, he uh, was very good. This was WRUN in Utica, New York. And uh, he started to get offers from other radio stations. Uh, in Syracuse, they had a WOLF uh, asked him to come on as a personality. And uh, uh, to make sure that he didn't embarrass his father, uh, he took the stage name of Dick Clay. Uh, that way, if things didn't go well, it would not reflect on uh, his father in the radio business in Utica. Um but uh, that that was not a problem. Uh, Dick Clark uh, was took to the radio, and audiences loved him immediately. And uh, he was asked to be a disc jockey back at his father's uh, radio station. Uh, and uh, by the age of seventeen, uh, he was uh, getting uh, uh, he was a professional disc jockey, being paid uh, for broadcasting, and he never uh, had to uh, do anything else for the rest of his life. In fact, his father said. Uh, you know, this is fine for you being 17, being disc jockey, but you need to find some other way of working because there's no way you're going to be a disc jockey when you're 30. <laughs> uh, at the age of 23, uh, Dick Clark uh, moved to a uh, bigger uh, town, a bigger market share. He moved to Philadelphia and uh, started working for WFIL radio station there. Uh, WFIL uh, had a, a television network or, or television affiliate uh, that was running a, uh, a show uh, of popular music called Bandstand. And uh, it was hosted by two other men. And uh, these guys, uh, they did not like the music that they were being forced to play, and they did not like young people. Uh, oh, no! So the, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a number of years that they continued doing the show. Uh, while they were doing the television portion, Dick Clark was doing the radio version of the show, and it was just him uh, playing these records. And eventually, uh, one of the men, uh, I think, was fired. Another man, he uh, he, he, he got busted uh, driving drunk. And so oh, uh, they no. had to get him out, too. And they needed someone to go on, and so they picked Dick Clark. And uh, at the uh, age of 27, uh, he started hosting uh, Bandstand. And this was just in Philadelphia. And uh, a couple of it, it was broadcast throughout Pennsylvania. Um, 
for those of you who uh, don't know, uh, the Bandstand uh, was a, a television show. Uh, in the early days, it ran for hours uh, each day where, uh, just like the radio, they would play uh, all the new songs and then they would have uh, teenagers dancing uh, while all these new songs were being played. And uh, then Dick Clark would go out and interview some of the uh, teenagers uh, after they were dancing. Uh, in uh, August of 1957, uh, Dick Clark uh, convinced the national uh, station, the American Broadcasting uh, Corporation, to take the Philadelphia show and uh, make it nationwide. Uh, ABC was uh, the third network. It was the smallest network. That means that it was in the smallest amount of cities. There were only 67 cities in the nation that had uh, ABC. Uh, they picked up American Bandstand uh, with a, a seven-week pickup. Uh, so if uh, Dick Clark did not make this a hit in seven weeks, the show would be canceled. Uh, within four weeks, uh, American Bandstand was the number one show in the nation. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and uh, this is really something because there were only 67 cities that were getting the show. Uh, Dick Clark was 26 years old when he managed to do this. Uh, this is also when the business side starts coming out. So at 26 mm -hmm. years old, Dick Clark realizes uh, he he already can see they're not going to keep him in front of the camera forever. Uh, you can't mm -hmm. be 30 or 40 and hosting American Bandstand, at least in his mind, as a 26-year-old. And for any other person, <laughs> he would be correct. Uh, so in order to stay in the business, he knew he needed to get into production. He needed to produce. Uh, ABC was giving him uh, $1,500 a week to produce seven and a half hours of television. Oh, my God. Uh, he, he figured out, well, uh, in order to have the show, you need to have talent. You need to have bands. You need to have the dancers. You need to have uh, uh, all these other things. So uh, he went into the music management business. And so he would find the talent. Uh, then uh, uh, in order to give himself a, a, a competitive wage uh, above the 1000 because the 1500 was for him to take home and produce the show with. So in order to give oh himself a, a, a good, decent wage, he would use the Dick Clark Corporation, which was managing people, and uh, find the artist, get the management corporation to pay the television show to promote the artist, and then once American Bandstand, this artist went on to American Bandstand, they became instantly famous. It made the artist make more money, which made Dick Clark make more money on both ends. Oh, my goodness. That's brilliant. And absolutely uh, it, brilliant nowadays uh, uh this is, is illegal but at the time it was completely legal he was doing nothing wrong in the eyes of the law even though he would eventually get into some hot water and they would actually make a law uh prohibiting this but at the time completely legal and he was realizing that uh, this whole structure he was 26 years old uh so uh, also at this time, this is another thing that I just find amazing. And I feel like I'm going to be getting into all sorts of weeds here. But, but I find mm. this man's story fascinating. 
he realized at the time, now this is the early, early days of television, but he heard this story about how uh, in the mines of like West Virginia, they were having closed circuit television so that they could monitor the safety of the miners in, uh, in mm-hmm. the coal mine. And he figured, so you can transport television via a wire. Uh, and Philadelphia was a pretty large market, but he thought, what if I could get a wire to go from New York City to Philadelphia and I could bring all the people in Philadelphia, all the shows in New York? And he started to figure it out how how hard this would be. He's essentially inventing cable television. Oh, my goodness. Now, he didn't actually go through with it and didn't act. And he said this is one of his largest regrets is that he didn't actually go through with it and actually get the cable and actually uh, pipe in this television from New York into Philadelphia. But the, I, the he's always looking to the future and he's always seeing the innovations here and the, not just in, in the creative parts, but in the technical parts as well. Um, American Bandstand. uh, uh it's hard for us today to even contemplate the impact that this television show had on the nation, on the popular culture, and and America being the powerhouse that it was, uh, the, the culture of the world. These are just a few of the bands and the solo artists which uh, Dick Clark put onto television for the very first time. Ike and Tina Turner... Smokey Robinson, mm. Stevie Wonder, The Beach Boys, Buddy Holly, Bill Haley and the Comets, Chuck Berry, Sam Cooke, The Mamas and the Papas, Jefferson Airplane, Talking Heads, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Prince. Just some of the names that the first time they were ever on national television was with Dick Clark on American Bandstand. Uh, if you got onto American Bandstand, you were a hit. People would not know you the day before, and they would buy all of your records the day after. And Dick Clark realized that, I mean, everyone in the business understood the power that this had, but Dick Clark knew the the responsibility that he had uh, as a manager, but just even as a a personality. And so a lot of these younger kids, these uh, rock and rollers, uh, he would take under his wing. There's stories of, uh, he would have some of the... uh, uh, like Frankie Avalon or, or Andy Williams uh, come babysit his kids and uh, he would give them advice on how to plan their careers and, you know, which deals to take and all this stuff. Uh, another major thing that uh, Dick Clark did, and this has a national uh, uh, societal uh, consequences, is the integration of American Bandstand. Uh, This was the first nationally televised show to have black dancers and white dancers on it. And uh, uh, there were this is the 1950s in the United States. Anyone familiar with the uh, uh, civil rights movement knows that this is uh, uh, the time of segregation of Jim Crow laws where uh, blacks and whites are not able to eat at the same uh, uh, counters Uh, when big acts would go into uh, venues in the South, uh, there would be a dividing line down uh, the ballroom and all of the blacks would be dancing uh, on their side and all the whites would be Mm. dancing on their side. And here in 1956 and seven and eight, Dick Clark uh, saw that it was the right thing to do to have uh, blacks and whites dancing together. 
enjoying the music together. Uh, 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 it's not just a, a television show. This had a profound impact on, on the nation. And then young children grew up watching blacks and whites dancing together and, and not thinking that there was anything wrong with it. And that really uh, it had a, a profound impact on generations uh, of people. That's awesome. That's so amazing. I remember that. I remember, you know, I mean, I was really little. I was very little. But I remember watching American Bandstand. I think it was on every Saturday. And I watched it every Saturday. Mm -hmm. I thought it, I, that's where I saw the coolest things because I was like, whatever, four or five. And that's when I started watching it. And I thought, wow, this, this is it. This is the coolest thing. Uh, absolutely. All the coolest uh, dance moves, all the coolest clothes, all the coolest music. This was uh, where it would all break. Um, and and Dick Clark, he he was uh, titled America's oldest teenager because they were all teens who were dancing. And he would go out there and he would talk to them and interview him. And a lot of people, uh, you, you think of Steve Allen, you think of these other broadcasters at the time, were very put out with rock and roll, very put out with teenagers and this young culture. And uh, uh, Dick Clark threw out from, I mean, he was the host of Bandstand from the 50s through to the 80s. Um, no matter how old he got, he always wanted to treat the teenagers as equals. Say, I don't care if you are 15, I'm going to talk to you like you're 30, and I'm going to give you that sense of respect. And uh, that uh, made sure that he uh, maintained his place in uh, pop culture uh, throughout all those years, is that he never talked down to anyone. He treated everyone with the same level of respect. Um. The, uh, one of the things that came up when I was doing this research is apparently during the, the Rate the Record uh, segments of the show, uh, it, it became a common thing that uh, everyone would say uh, pretty much the same thing. Like, hey, you know, Dick Clark would go, hey, did you like that song? A lot of people would say, I like the beat. It's easy to dance to. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, I guess it was, it seems like it's such a thing that it like entered the vernacular that people just said this a lot. And I <laughs> found that to be very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. another interesting thing, talking about the influence of the show uh, and everyone learning how to dance from American Bandstand. Um, yes. Uh, uh, Dick Clark grew up in the same apartment building that Arthur Miller, uh, was living in. Uh, Arthur Miller uh, owned dance studios and uh, all across the nation you could go to an Arthur Miller dance studio and they would teach you how to do all the ballroom dances and uh, Dick Clark says that he felt a little guilty because American Bandstand essentially put Arthur Miller out of business because Oh, Everyone no. didn't need to go to the studio. They could just sit and, and they could be in their living rooms on television and watch all of the new dances happening. Uh, so this is all the, the 50s and 60s. Uh, by 1972, Dick Clark is one of the major moguls in the television business. And he decides that it's time for a uh, an alternative uh, a New Year's Eve broadcast. Um from the 1920s on radio, uh, Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians, uh, that was the tradition. Uh, from the 20s all the way through to the 70s, uh, you would watch Big Band, you would watch it at the Waldorf Astoria, they would have a camera to see Times Square, uh, but this was what the television was. And Dick Clark said, well, we need a, a rock and roll version of that. 
And so he uh, produced uh, this uh, uh, show. Originally, he wasn't even hosting it. He didn't. He just wanted to produce. And then they said, well, we need someone in Times Square and we need someone youthful. And so they chose uh, uh, Dick Clark to be their youthful uh, correspondent, even though he's in his 30s or 40s by this time. <laughs> and so uh, but he still wasn't hosting. The first host uh, was Three Dog Night. Uh, and then the uh, second host uh, the next year was George Carlin. Uh, so if you look, you know, on CBS, they're having big band and uh, I love all that music, too. But you can just imagine the dichotomy of, you know, Glenn Miller songs and uh, 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 Guy Lombardo songs. And then you flip it to the next channel and they're having Three Dog Night, Helen Reddy, Al <laughs> Green, uh, Billy Preston, Linda Ronstadt. Uh, this was the new show to watch, the Rockin' new year's eve and uh, by mm -hmm. 1974 dick clark was the one who was hosting it and would host it uh, uh until his death uh and so mm -hmm. uh, i i just think that it's that there's almost some we're, we're now about 10 years after uh, dick clark has passed away and that there was something so sweet there was something so perfect about every year starting and ending with dick clark uh, uh, counting it down, counting down the new year and, and welcoming us in and saying goodbye to the old year. And this was something that generations of Americans grew up with. Um, in 1973, uh, uh, Dick Clark was asked to host uh, the, the Pyramid Game Show. And uh, 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 this is something, and I, I think that it's still in the vernacular occasionally that you'll hear someone say, well, that's the $25,000 question. Uh, and that comes from the Pyramid Show that Dick Clark hosted for over 15 years, a $25,000 uh, pyramid. Uh, his uh, production company, Dick Clark Productions, uh, said they uh, produced every type of television show except soap operas. Uh, so uh, sitcoms, dramas, TV movies, sports, news, commercials, the Elvis movie uh, with uh, th that Kurt Russell played Elvis, uh, that was produced uh, by Dick Clark. Um, beauty pageants. Uh, he was the host uh, for Live Aid. Uh, uh, awards shows, every sort of awards show, and, and all of the little intricacies of awards shows were come up with by Dick Clark. So everything except the Oscars has been produced by Dick Clark Productions. Emmys, Grammys, uh, Golden Globes, uh, uh, American Music Awards. He created the American Music Awards because ABC uh, lost the rights to the Grammys. And so the ABC was looking for a, uh, a new music music awards show and uh, they went to dick clark and he said well you know th those are all chosen by academies the country music academy the uh, uh academy of, of whatever academies in charge of the grammys um but what if we let the people decide what if we let the listeners uh decide who should win the awards and so that's mm -hmm. what the american music awards were and uh, uh i love this story he the way that he pitched the awards uh, was uh, he got the the big head of the uh, of the network to come see him in his hotel, 
And uh, he set up this presentation in his hotel room where he laid out record albums. He laid out over 200 record albums all over his hotel room. And he invited the network executive in, and the network executive was completely surprised and shocked. and like, why are there 200 record albums in here? And Dick Clark goes, I know I can get 90% of these artists to come to the American Music Awards. And the executive signed him right there. Okay, we're going to make this show. Uh, yes. So uh, uh, that I, I and so with the awards show, he created uh, the idea of having um, seat fillers. Uh, so if someone gets up, you get somebody to take their seat, so it never looks like there's any empty spots in the auditorium. Uh, he thought it was very important uh, to make sure that people understand what's going on. So uh, he created to have the banner underneath when you show someone's uh, face on a camera. Underneath it says their name, the song that they're being nominated for, uh, uh, the albums they've done in the past. That was created by Dick Clark. Uh, all of these things that we take for granted, the, the idea of putting a time limit on the speeches uh, for awards shows, that was created by Dick Clark. Um, and and uh, what's, he was the consummate uh, uh, producer and host. Uh, he tells these stories where it, it's almost like he, he's like Superman. Like wherever he goes, he brings his tuxedo with him in case he needs to go out there and host the event. And uh, there's this one story where there was an awards show in Australia and things were completely falling apart. And because a crane, like a, a flying crane, had gone in and knocked down the power line <gasps> and completely short circuited all the power. And so Dick Clark got his tuxedo on, you know, if, in case. Case I need to host, and then he went out there. He did this big thing to the audience. You know, if something goes wrong, it's because our technology is all uh, messed up because an actual bird flew into the electrical, and and, uh, and and he said that they were actually they got a board helicoptered in to do all of the uh, technology part of the show, and that uh, they couldn't even solder the electricity. There was just a guy holding the two wires together uh, for the show. <laughs> Oh my god. And and Dick Clark said that the whole show went off without a hitch. Wow. Uh, the Dick Clark Production Company he, it was a family company. So uh, Dick Clark was married three times, uh, but uh, luckily for him, third time was the charm. Uh, and uh, his wife, Carrie, was a part of the business. Uh, they ran the business together. They went to work uh, to the same office right across from NBC and Burbank uh, every day. Uh, their offices were next to each other. Uh, they tried to make it a point not to see each other at work, uh, but they would hear each other, especially because in the early days, uh, Dick Clark was known as uh, having a very fiery temper, and uh, he would yell and shout, and uh, he would get very angry about and emotional about things not going right uh, with all the shows that he was producing. And then later, the children would come in, and they were brought in as producers and directors uh, for all the television shows. Uh, he also had the uh, United Radio Network, uh, which was the uh, uh, second largest uh, broadcasting company outside of Clear Channel for many years, where he owned all these different affiliates across the nation. And, uh, you know, going back to the quote that his father had where uh, you won't be a disc jockey when you're 30 years old, well into his 70s, Dick Clark was hosting <laughs> radio programs. 
<laughs> That's great. Uh, another thing, you know, just talking about the business mind here, uh, uh, Dick Clark loved Krispy Kreme donuts, and he wanted to have the Times Square uh, uh, Krispy Kreme. He wanted to own that. He wanted to be the franchiser of the Times Square Krispy Kreme, and the Krispy Kreme, he kept calling them day after day. This is what I want. I can. I know I can do it. I can make profits. And the Krispy Kreme people said, well, we've given that away. We cannot give that to you. But we will give you all of the Krispy Kremes in uh, England, Ireland, Wales, and Scotland. Oh, my goodness. And so Dick Clark was in charge of the franchising of Krispy Kreme in the entire British Isles. So if you're listening to this in the British Isles and you've ever bitten into the wonderful, warm deliciousness of a Krispy (laughs) Kreme, you can thank Dick Clark. Oh my goodness! Uh, getting into uh, his sixties uh, uh, and seventies, uh, uh, there were health problems that were developed. Uh, Nineteen ninety-four, uh, he was diagnosed with type two diabetes, and uh, in two thousand four, he came out publicly with uh, having that diagnosis. Uh, and later that year, uh, he suffered a stroke. Uh, he uh, wanted to still host the New Year's Eve show, and uh, he wasn't able that 2004 year, but all the subsequent years until his passing, uh, he would at least introduce and, and conclude uh, New Year's Rock and Eve because of the what it meant, the tradition of having Dick Clark there. And there were a lot of people who struggled and, and criticized that because after the stroke that he had, uh, he didn't have this, he couldn't talk the same way. Um, and, and, and we're thinking that maybe this wasn't the right thing to do, but then there were a lot of people and uh, a stroke supportive groups who were saying, well, this actually shows us and really shows us that we can still be a part of society even after we've suffered this uh, a great uh, uh, tragic thing. Um, but uh, Dick Clark did. Uh, he passed away in uh, 2012 uh, from a heart attack uh, at 83 years old. Uh, the the one word I would use to describe this man is visionary. Uh, what, mm. From society, the role that, you know, that rock and roll, what he uh, gave the, the spotlight to rock and roll, uh, to uh, race relations and, and integration, and uh, then talking about business and, you know, talking about the, the, he had the premonitions of cable. In 1990, he gave a speech where he was saying, the record business needs to change. People are not going to keep buying CDs. As technology advances, there's going to be a wire that comes into your house and delivers all of your music to you. Nobody's going to own physical music anymore. He was saying this in 1990. No one mm-hmm. listened to him. They thought, well, people are just people are buying cassettes and CDs. Why do we need to change anything? He essentially saw the internet and what the internet would do to the music industry decades before that actually happened. Uh, So a complete visionary on all counts. And I will just say uh, uh, for myself, and I think I speak for our family and for many Americans that every New Year's Eve, I think of Dick Clark and uh, I do miss him uh, saying goodbye to one year and introducing us to another. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we've loved Dick Clark. I've loved Dick Clark since I was a child. And, you know, American Bandstand was already well, you know, on its way when I was little. So, you know, and then, you know, introducing it to you when you were little, uh, uh, the New Year's Eve, you know, Dick Clark's New Year's Eve, 
Dick, what's it? Dick Clark's Rockin' New right. Year's Eve, right? Okay. And so, I mean, but don't you think that Dick Clark is just kind of America? Yeah. Like, it's very America, Dick Clark. And, and, and sort of kind of what I feel like America really stands for as far as, like, music and and youth and young people and you know as we all grew up with it it became old people too you mm -hmm. know so yeah i do miss it i miss it a lot and i have to say that i did like watching dick clark even after he had had his stroke because i thought oh my this is really a person who is very driven you know and 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 isn't going to let this stop mm -hmm. him from what he's trying to do but Again, I mean, the research that you've done is incredible, Chandler. I didn't know all these things about Dick Clark, and I'm, I'm very impressed. And it's very clear in his chart that he had the capability of doing this, you know. And this uh, Jupiter in Gemini in the eighth house, you know, this legendary, you know, uh, really uh, brilliant um, legacy, you know, of all the things that he did and the power that he had and the, and, the, and the brilliance that he had in his career and the creativity of his career, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very impressive and very amazing. And I, I, I and, and, and millions and millions of other people, you know, loved it, Clark. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad you chose this one. Yeah, I, I think that, that one thing, and I know I kind of massaged it out of you, but the um, being able to communicate to a lot of people about hidden things. Um, that is bandstand. That is what he did. He found people, yeah. he found talent and he shared it with the world. Uh, uh, I, I, uh, the, the, uh, the more I did research the, this is probably going to be one of our longer episodes because I, uh, I just found so many interesting things about this guy and, and, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, when you talk about the, uh, you know, this guy is likable and some people would just leave it at that. He's a game. He was a game show host, uh, and a, uh, and this t host of this music program. Um, but underneath this likableness was a businessman who uh, knew how to uh, maximize everything and investments and uh, uh, knew what people wanted and how to capitalize on that and uh, just a, a truly remarkable american that's really funny because it is exactly what i said i said well he's very likable i would like him but he does have this very powerful business side mm -hmm. so and leadership you know, leading all these things with his creativity is really a very brilliant, brilliant man. And and as you said, a visionary. Uh, are there any other things that uh, make more sense to you now that you know who it is? Well, everything here makes more sense. But I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like I kind of I, I kind of did describe this as we went through. And, uh, and, and I'm very excited that you chose this for New Year's Eve because it's very, very, very appropriate. And I do love it. Uh, well, uh, I think on our uh, scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, this is definitely right on the money. Uh, this is exactly uh, who Dick Clark was. I think all of the uh, stars and moons uh, bore it out uh, the, the day he was born. Absolutely. And I'm really, really glad you chose this one. And I hope everyone had a very, or if you're listening, well, 
it, it, it's just after midnight, right? Uh, uh, on, new, tonight, on New Year's tonight. Eve. Yeah, tonight. Right. Tonight is going to be New Year's. Okay. So just to, you know, get it into perspective of when this is going to drop. So uh, Happy New Year, everybody. We're very excited to have you and looking forward to doing a lot more shows for you in 2022. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, got big plans. Uh, hope to uh, see this show grow and uh, hope to bring you all along with us in uh, 2022. Uh, so, uh, in conclusion, uh, as long as your uh, houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Thank you all so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.